from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Tyree Bindham. Tyree refers to himself as a spiritual rapper. He and his wife have a recording label called Kappa to Gold. He also hosts a radio program on KOPN in Columbia, Missouri called Core Issues. I started the interview by asking Tyree where he grew up. And what was it like growing up there? Well, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, um, which is right in the middle of the map. Of course, I was a baby, so I didn't know, but my mom told me that it was a very middle-class neighborhood, predominantly African-American, right on Page and Clara in the west side city in St. Louis. And and so, you know, we five, six-bedroom house, both my mom and my dad's family lived on the same street on Clara. Uh, in St. Louis, uh, just a few blocks away from each other. And so growing up for me was, it's different. In St. Louis, it's, it, it has its own essence. I think every city has its own essence, but especially in St. Louis, there's a lot of history. You know, my mom ended up having me at a very early age, at age 14, and so that kind of changed the dynamics of our life growing up in St. Louis. We went from middle class to just getting by. So that was kind of the experience for my family growing up in St. Louis. So the fact that your mother had you at 14 meant that she had to leave the nice house and, and go on her own? Or, or why, why was all of a sudden the drop in economic status? Even now, if, if a, a young lady was to get pregnant at age 14, even this day and age when it will be probably looked down upon by a lot of the community. And from her words, she says that she went from being the model citizen, you know, she sang in the choir, she had good grades, she was the crossing, crossing guard, she ran track, and all of this basically evaporated when she found out that, and everyone found out that she was pregnant. She said that her church community, she grew up as a, as a Baptist Christian, and so everyone kind of shunned her. And all of my family at the time, on both sides, told her that she had a whole, her whole life ahead of her. She should get an abortion. It wasn't even a question for her. And she, she had, in her words specifically, she says, which one of you are going to be there with, with me when I have to answer to my God? And in that room, she was talking to her doctor, her mother, her father, and some of the other members of the family that were kind of giving her that guidance to do the different paths. So it really, it, it, she tried to stay at home for a while, but it just didn't, didn't work for what she needed to do to raise her child. Were you raised Baptist? I was raised Baptist on both sides. My mother were a part of a church family that was on the east side of Clara. My father's family, surnamed the Clay family, 
had their own church. And so they had the Peace Baptist Church that was in St. Louis for about 50 years. You know, that was the up and, and that was the upbringing on both sides. You know, it, it was it was kind of a tough situation. There's a line in one of my songs, I am a spiritual rapper, is what I call it. But it goes, I was born in unimaginable circumstances. But who wasn't? And the essence of is, since the families gave the bad advice and really tried to do their best to break the break these two up. My father, his name was Otto Stanley Clay. My mother's name is Deborah Bindham. And since they didn't get too much guidance, they actually sent my father away for a while. They had known each other for, for over eight years. My father ended up coming back from Memphis, which is where they sent him. And on my due date, my father ended up getting uh, shot and killed because he was trying to go and get some money to buy me a crib and buy me all the necessities. And actually, my due date was September the 15th, and I came a month and a day late. There was no one there. My grandfather, my father's father, woke up when she said it was time, drove her to the hospital, left her, and it was fog, and he left her, and she had the baby by herself. She had me by herself. And everyone was sad because they knew she had lost her man. That's kind of how, how we started off in St. Louis. And St. Louis, is, there's a lot of, a lot of, it was a tough place to be raised. I mean, it's beautiful. There's beauty about, I think, every place, but it was a very tough. There was a lot of death, and uh, St. Louis still is. My mom kind of poured everything into me. She was not really good at spelling, and so she read to me a lot. She read books and books and books, and so I was reading at age three to the point where she would have friends come over and I would be reading the newspaper and they think they thought it was like a joke and they would say, well, read this, read the headlines. And I was, I was actually reading it three years old fluently. So I read a lot of books, you know, like kids, I like games, but I was really into, you know, words. I had boundless energy. <laughs> so it was, I was always pretty much bouncing off the walls into all, all types of stuff. But really, it led me to have an appreciation for um, the mastery of words, and I've always had that. Uh, that's a central part of my identity, is the eloquent speech or the, the mastery of the words. And even now, where I'm at now, a lot of the things that I do was based on that foundation. When did you first compose something? You know, I, I always made up songs and sang and rapped and all this stuff at, at an early age, but I would say the fir- very first time I, I would consider myself to make something that was a product, that was something that I was I would actually show people and share with others was a poem. And the, this poem was called Defining Weakness. And it was so deep. I think I was like 14 or 15 years old when I did that, and I put it on the back of my, uh, my door at the time. My mom had moved us from, from St. Louis to Columbia, Missouri, which is where I reside now, to give us a better chance at life. At nine years old, she moved us from Columbia to St. Louis, which is about two hours. Columbia, Missouri is right between Kansas City and St. Louis, so smack dab in the middle. And she liked it because it was clean, because it had colleges, uh, it was diverse. She just enjoyed it. She doesn't like it now, but uh, she moved us here, and, uh, and it was her sacrifice. 
Did you do any public spoken word or performing as when you were a kid or in high school? My high school, my school experience was very tough because, for instance, in St. Louis, you would go to the schools and it's almost like there was no one wanting to learn. And if you were smart, you were labeled as a nerd. I remember one time going into my middle school and I walked into the cafeteria and there was a food fight. I mean, the whole cafeteria was throwing milks and, and oranges and just fighting. And I was like, you know, how can anyone learn? in this environment. And then at that time, they started shipping kids from the inner city out to the county. to So basically sending black kids out to the white, all-white schools. That didn't work for me because no one would talk to me. And here I am, you know, the only other African-American student is the captain of, of the football team, and then there's me. And it's like this combination between very smart and like a thug. So it, it didn't really work for me. And then when, even when we came to Columbia, Missouri at an early age, you know, I was gifted. I was very smart. I skipped first grade. I started school when I was four years old. I skipped first grade. I skipped third grade. And so by the time I got to Columbia, Missouri, they were, like, so far behind what I had already done, I was bored out of my board. <laughs> kind of a comment that I, I used. And they labeled me. Uh, behavior disorder, oh boy, ADHD. They tried to get me on Ritalin. My mom said no. She said, teach my son or else I'll take him out. And so she ended up putting me in a gifted class, which was you could learn at your own pace, and I excelled. But after that sixth grade, I went back into the high school experience, and I really just coasted through, man. Uh, it, it really was not something that I enjoyed at all. So I assume you made it through high school. I did not make it through high school. I kind of knew that it wasn't for me. I knew that I was not going to go to college, and I didn't want to just go and work a job because I started working at 12. I started working doing carts at Aldi's at 12 because my mom was working two jobs. So I didn't really have the luxury of a childhood. I had to really grow up quick and take care, help take care of my family because it's not just me, but my mom, but also my brother. And we lost a middle brother between me and my brother. He was one year younger than me. And he actually passed at an early age in St. Louis. So I didn't have the luxury. I was working at 12, 13, 14, leading up into that time. So I actually ended up training to go to the Marine Corps. I joined the Marine Corps at age 16, 15 and a half, actually. And I had a waiver from my grandfather and from my mother saying that I could, I dropped out of high school. So they will accept folks under 18 to go into the military? When I did it, it was back in 88. At that time, based on my situation, they said, you either going to the Marine Corps or you're going to the Armed Forces or you're going to jail. Because I had a very tough time. I was tough. I was, it was hard for anyone to tell me anything. I was belligerent, pretty much. And a lot of it, in looking back, it was due to not being culturally understood, dealing with a lot of the ills that are in the high school, the cliques, I never really felt fit in for sure I, I knew all of them but never really fed into my fit into my own so yes to answer your question um, I was because I had the approval of my grandfather and my mother and because I had participated in the delayed entry program you know they let me they let me go into the Marine Corps at an early age 
I think I'm like the, one of the youngest Marines ever. I think I was like 15 and a half, 16 by the time I got to boot camp. So tell me about your military experience. It started off great. <laughs> but again, why would someone who doesn't like listening <laughs> necessarily to authority that's belligerent choose to go to the Marine Corps? I don't know, but that was my choice. My mom wanted me to go to college, and she still says that to this day. She wanted me to go to college and, and be a computer guru because I was very skilled at it, but that wasn't the path I wanted to, to go down. And so I ended up you know, going to the Marine Corps and did very well. I was what you call gung-ho. That means I went in, I did everything, I, I excelled at the physical aspects, I excelled at the leadership aspects of it, and I was going in with the mentality that it was a few of the proud and that this was the place that I was supposed to be. And I enjoyed myself. I ended up getting uh, another promotion because I was already, since I was in the delayed entry program, I was private and then private first class, so I was PSC. And then leaving boot camp, I got another promotion because I was like the squad leader and the guide. Uh, I ended up being the guide at, before the end. So I was a lance corporal coming out of boot camp, and I was very excited to start my job. And so it was, it was a good experience for me. I didn't really write home that much. Just a tough, but I focused. But they kind of lost me because I thought it was the future proud. But there was one thing that happened like two weeks before I graduated. Uh, my drill instructor, which is the trainers, told me that, that we have to graduate at least 75 of these recruits. We have a quota. And that really effect, affected me, um, and it affected my whole, the rest of my career in the time that I was in the Marine Corps, because that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for, you know, the elite, the few, the proud, and quota was not part of that mentality. So I went from gung-ho to kind of being average, an average guy. So are you very much affected by your environment and, what, and your motivation? Yes, it, it, it really affected me, because I had to go to three months of school, and then I went to six months of school. When you get a promotion like that, you can pick your MOS. And I did really good on the, the entry test for the, for the Marine Corps, the ASVAB. I did really well on that. I think I scored like in the 90s, like 96, 97. So I was able to pick what job I wanted to do, and I picked basic admin. You know, I wanted to do a job that I knew I could do when I came out. So really, when I went to the Marine Corps, I started off great, but then I was in California. So I was stationed in San Diego in uh, the Point Loma area, and I was actually stationed at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, which is there. There's two of them, one there and one in uh, South Carolina. And I was in Cali as a 16, 17-year-old young man, and it was like the different world opened up, man, and I kind of got immersed in it. I was dancing on Soul Train, and I, was, I did my first actual album project during that time, and it was pretty successful. And they saw me as this guy that was not a Marine material, but I did my job. Tyree, tell me how you got into actually producing something. When I first got down there, there was an opportunity to participate. They had a club on bass. You know, I was really into the music. I've, I've always been a dancer. A lot of the Marines used to go down to Tijuana, Mexico, because it stayed up and there was no drinking age limit. So, <laughs> so we would go across the border and pretty much dance during the weekends. Uh, my job was really tough because I worked 18-hour days for four days a week, and I got three days off. I would go to L.A. and go down there and 
really I, I was I was doing too much partying. But how I got into the music was I met a DJ on bass that the DJed at the club. You know, I started freestyling because I had always been musically inclined, but I started freestyling and rapping, and he was like, man, you have a gift. And so I, I put together a project with him. Uh, his name was DJ Rudy. And it was called Tyree, the young, the young rapper, extra extra, and it did did pretty good. I didn't have good management, and so I I don't have anything to show for it, that project. But it, it it helped me to mature my art form. And what did you do after that? Well, after that, in the Marine Corps, me and the Marine Corps kind of didn't see eye to eye because I would go and party on the weekends and then come back. Have you ever heard of a Kid and Play haircut? Kid and Play was this, this rap group. They did House Party. They did a couple movies. And it was two rappers, Kid and Play. And he had a high-top fade. And so in the Marine Corps, you can, your hair can be zero to three inches tall. Well, mine was right at two and 15, 16. <laughs> and they didn't really like that because I was like, hey, this is my livelihood. This is I do other stuff beside the Marine Corps. And they, didn't, they did not like that at all. And so we, we, we bumped heads a lot. And I was like, man, just let me grow up. You know, let, let, me, let me be who I am. I, I do my job well. And so really, you know, I, I became kind of uh, belligerent. But, but I, I let the partying get to me, and I, I saw it as a career. I was going to the Marine Corps to, to be, you know, 20 years in. But I ended up getting kicked out of the Marine Corps to bad conduct discharge. They kicked me out because I had a fake ID. That was the end of the Marine Corps. And I stayed in California for a while, still dancing on Soul Train. Uh, doing music and actually uh, doing all types of dancing and choreography uh, with some really good friends. And then I decided to come back to Columbia. So were these paid gigs that you were doing after you left the Marine Corps? I was pretty well known, you know, as far as dancing and choreography. That was kind of my thing for a while, but, you know, not too many people, or I didn't share with too many people about my ability to rap. I really didn't focus on it that much at the time because, dancing kind of uh, was my natural fit at that time, even though I had been successful in, in the music industry somewhat. And so, yeah, I was, I was doing paid gifts, but also I worked regular jobs, and I had to figure out a way to work. California was really fast, a fast life. For some reason, you can slow it down, but it's really hard to. And so I got, kind of got homesick, and my mom had missed me, and she wanted me to actually come home. And I think she visited California um, out there once and was like, when I saw her, it, all of it came back. Decided to come back to, back to Missouri. For, I think it was like 93. And what did you do when you got back to uh, Missouri? It was tough. I had a lot of anger during that, during that time. Point. It was kind of a dark time in, in my life where I was really trying to, to figure out uh, myself. But, you know, from the Marine Corps, they trained you to be a killer. And so I, I had all this stuff still in me that I was trained to do this and be this. But I realized, really, one of the main things I realized in the Marine Corps that I was not uh, that I was not that. That's, that wasn't my nature. I had made a grave mistake in going and being that. So I had to kind of unravel myself to see to find out who I really was. And I think a lot of that was was centrally was connected to. I never knew my dad. You know, I never knew him. You know, I'd asked my family for years and years what happened to my dad, and I didn't find out until I was age 27 what actually happened to him. My mom had tried to tell me, but I, I don't think I heard it from her. Because I don't think she had the whole story. She wouldn't tell me. 
And so I kind of went on a quest to find out who I am, and I really, during that time, came very reflective and, you know, prayed and meditated and even, you know, tried to commune and connect with my father. So I think around 94 is when I started becoming conscious. You know, I grew up in the church, but they never baptized me. They never, I was like an outsider, kind of. You know, so at that point I started, I remember I started to become conscious of God. Did your mother go to church after she had you? You know, my mother was very open. You know, her mom had told her to, you know, search and see what whatever you want. And so she had studied all the religions. She took us to a lot of the different places as well because she was on a quest to find something that was true, that was right for her. And the way that they treated her, she knew that that wasn't it. Uh, she still was a Christian, um, but she was really looking for something that not only did it in during Sunday, but did it during the hard times too. And so uh, she was also on, on a quest, and I think that was a part of a part of my quest. You know, my family, both both sides of my family, they always they were beautiful, wonderful Christian people, uh, good servants. But part of my mission, and I was part was there was always something that was missing out of their lives. They were always waiting for something. They was waiting for the return of Christ. They was waiting for something to come in the future that could not give them a full, 100% solace in the present. And so that drove me to find out what that was. So tell me more about that journey of yours. Well, you know, I guess around um, in 95, 96, I went to St. Louis for a while because my mom had moved back to take care of my grandfather. Uh, but living with my mother was not something that I wanted to experience again. So me and my brother actually <laughs> left Columbia or left St. Louis with five dollars in our pocket and came to Columbia again because we knew that we could thrive here easily. And we started our lives. So that was about ninety, uh, the end of ninety-five. During that time, I started working in a factory and I met a young lady, and she was like three months pregnant. I didn't know. You know, I met her, and I was like, you know, I'll help you take care of the child. It was totally foreign for me to do that. It was kind of, you know, good, and but she wanted to, she wanted more. And so she was like, well, why don't we go to church? And so we looked at some different church options, and we decided to go to a church. We attended the church for at least two or three years, and it was a really, really decent, it was a mega church, so it was what they call them. Uh, the Columbia area, and 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 it aided, it helped me to know how to decipher scripture. And during that time, I was still deep into my search. And I remember one time we went to Kansas City for a, a an event, like a, a, a circus, kind of like Sally Callaghan Day, but something like a fair. Here, here's all this different stuff going on, and I find this book of all religions. And I was so enraptured with that book, I sat down, and I'm a speed reader, so I sat down and I read that book during, like, four hours. And while they were playing and doing this, all this other stuff, and I was so engulfed in that book that I couldn't put it down. And so I read pretty much the history of every religion during that time, and, and it, it fed my search. And so um, I kept seeking. And eventually um, my father came to me in a dream, and this happened, you know, after me and, and her kind of broke up, 
the, the children still asked me if she had two. She had a daughter already, a four-year-old daughter, and she was pregnant. So those babies asked me to not sever our relationship just because we broke up. And so I told them that, okay, I would continue to to be their father. And, and I still am to this day with all three of them. But I was shared by my father that there will be someone to teach you the word. And I remember meeting this guy. Uh, during this time, this was my thug days because I was doing, you know, I was out there, man. I was uh, out hustling. I don't know if people know what hustling is, but it's I was selling drugs and I was, you know, being worldly. You know, even though I was on a spiritual quest, I was still stuck in it. I met this guy one time, and he was drunk. He asked me, he was like, well, what's you? He's like, are you a Christian? I said, no. I said, uh, I don't really believe in, in any of that stuff. And he was like, well, you believe it. I think I told him I, I was agnostic. I said, I believe in a higher deity. I'm I'm searching and searching for the truth, but, you know, I'm not, I don't call myself anything. And he said something that was pretty profound. He said, no, you're not. He said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? I said, yeah. He said, you're not agnostic then. And I really wanted to hit him really bad, but I did <laughs> I didn't. But that started me to thinking about a lot of stuff, and so I jumped into the Word big time. And maybe this story is a little bit off. This stuff kind of happened right about the same time we started going to church. So sorry about that. Because I stepped away from my music. I, I really was disgusted with the industry. During one time when I was reflecting and praying and, and in the Scripture, uh, a mission was given to me, and the mission was basically a title. And it, the title was given, and it said, I give you the title of Black Paladin means holy warrior and do you accept and i was like well what does it mean and so black paladin black is flipped taking the negative and flipping it to a positive paladin is a holy warrior and then i accepted and what it meant was my mission was to conquer satan so conquer satan was the mission that was given and mm-hmm. i reflected on that for about four or five months and uh, just processed it there was also some other stuff that was shared that I was given the name of a group and that there would be five people in this group, including myself, and that eventually there would be a female to join the group in the future. And I was given the names of all these individuals who were people that I knew in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I didn't know any of them having any musical uh, inclination at all. And so I went and shared this with each of them. Two of them actually joined a group that we call Clad Eternal clad in the full armor of God, based on the Bible. In Ephesians, I think, 6-10, through 10, where it talked about the full armor, the panoply of God. And that's kind of how I got started being a spiritual rapper and started down that path that before it was actually cool to be, it's still kind of not cool to be at once, but that's kind of how I got started. And did you guys produce a CD? Well, we produced two songs. One of the songs was called, was called That's the Business. And it goes, it was a beautiful song. I listened to this song for like a year straight. I mean, I, I didn't listen to any other music. I had it on tape, and I listened to the song, and, it, and that song saved my life. But it goes, business-minded, individual, residual, the ritual, the habitual, I have the format. Don't be swimming no more. And, and it was like a, a very deep song. It said, if you blink your mind, you might miss this. Twist the earth as I distort my linguistics. 
If you're malcontent or malevolent, that'd be the business, so, so stay off my aunt list. And so that was the song, and then we did another song later. Uh, but during the same time I met, you know, I was sharing with people what I call the devil's tactics. Most people know what the devil is, especially from a Christian background. Most people know. At this point, I had evolved into what I called a servant of Christ. I wasn't part of any church. It was just my own personal study. But I used to go and aid people and show them how the devil came into their lives to snare, kink, and steal, and to basically control their lives and how they could get their lives back. And so I would have these conversations with people. A lot of it was based on the book of Job. Uh, that was my breakthrough. In the book of Job, that's in the scripture. In the beginning of the book, all the angels came before the Lord. And Satan also came before the Lord. And he said that, before he even spoke, he said, Surely my man Job is righteous. And Satan said, But if you, if you let me do this, this, and this to him, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, Well, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't, but you can't touch him or his family. And so that was a breakthrough for me. Because you're not the opposite of God. You're not the peer of God. You're given permission for what you can and cannot do. And so at that point, my foe was conquered, at least mentally and spiritually in my heart. Because for me, at that point, angels don't have free will, even if humans try to give them such. And so I started down that path of sharing that information with, with people. In, in 99, uh, at this time, I actually ended up meeting, uh, going out to a club one night, and I, I, I was dancing and having a good time, you know, but I would go and pray for people. I would go to the same places that Christ went, to the clubs, to the bar, and talk to the people that needed it. I met this young lady, and I was enamored with her. I mean, not in a way that was any way, you know, using game or any way trying to come on to her, but I asked her for a number because I was like, there's something special about her, and she gave me a number. You know, I ended up meeting her. I, I really thought that that was the, the girl that would be a part of the group later, you know, three years later. I met her one week later, and she was having a real tough time with drinking, where she would drink and then she would cry because she didn't want to drink. And I was like, why don't you want to drink? She was like, it's just it's against everything I, I feel. And so I shared with her about the devil's tactics in Christianity. After a couple of weeks, one time she gave me a book, and she was like, it's the truth, Tyree, I want you to check this out. She was like, I want you to check it out. She was like, but she was kind of to share it with me because I was kind of knowledgeable of the Bible and I found out that she was a member of the Baha'i Faith and she gave me this little blue booklet. I read it. It was powerful and I read the equality of men and women that all religions come from the same source that harmony of science and religion and I read these principles and at that time it smelled of God and I, I knew that, that that's what I was looking for. I started reading and studying more information about this Baha'i faith, and it's a pretty new faith. So for me, I was on an active quest to, first of all, to conquer Satan, and then after that, to find that thing that my family was missing. I read a book called The Thief in the Night by William Sears, because I was really into prophecy. I, I kind of still am. And I read that book, and then I read a book called Gleanings of the Writings of Baha'u'llah, and then I read a book, Some Answer Questions, and then I read pretty much everything that was available 
within two weeks, I read it, and on, on that was the March 15th, and on March 29th of 1999, uh, I declared and became a member of the Baha'i faith. What was your family's reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? They shunned me. I mean, it, they was like, what is this boy doing now? <laughs> it, was, it was pretty tough, man. My mom said, what are you doing? What is this? What is this Baha'i? And, and you know, it was, it was tough because I had went, you know, I was pretty innocent. First thing I did was I went and shared with the pastor that had, uh, had really edified me and showed me, empowered me how to study Scripture. And I went and gave him a, a copy of the book, A Thief in the Night, and shared with him that this is up to you to share with your congregation, but I found what you preach about in the pulpit every week. And I said, and I, said I pray to God that you can share it with them. Uh, they've doubled in size since then, but uh, I, I don't see that, that he shared that information with them. I went to St. Louis and shared it with my family. Hey, guess what? This is what, what you guys have been looking for the whole time. I gave them a couple of, uh, of books and information, and they was, you know, great, that's good, thank, thank you, but no thank you, we're good. I shared it with pretty much everyone. Well, it sounds like that wasn't too extreme. I mean, it didn't sound like they shunned you. Well, that was the surface. But mm. in essence, that's exactly what happened, because our connection was pretty strong. I, I guess I'm just adding it all up because of, of the things that that happened over the years, but after that, they kind of didn't really deal with me too much. So I won't. I guess, I guess "shun" might be a a strong word. So a more accurate word is "cautious." Uh, it was more of, you know, he's on something else. Let's see if he changes. And so my mom was the more. She was the more the person that was really kind of wanting to know exactly what her son was into. She had learned about the Baha'i faith a few times earlier in her life, and she even took me to a, a Baha'i meeting that's called a fireside one time, where they meet and they share information about the Baha'i faith, and when we were little. And so she was aware of it and told me that afterwards. And I was like, why didn't you tell me about this a long time ago? She was like, well, you wasn't really ready. And I was like, well, you should have told me. <laughs> so in essence, in 2001, my financial situation was pretty... It was a combination of, in 2000, I did 200 shows um, musically. So I was really active musically, but I was homeless. These gigs didn't pay enough? There was mostly free shows. You know, it was, it was tough because we were establishing hip-hop in our locality. And so they didn't, we didn't have a, a strong base. So, you know, we were basically starting from scratch. And we started doing events and we started doing shows. Me and a friend of mine... His name was King Solomon. This guy was a gifted writer and singer, but no one in the hood, basically none of the black people liked him for some reason. And they used to want to beat him up. And so here's another mission. Assist this guy. Aid this guy. And so he's still a really good friend of mine. And so basically I was kind of his protector. And I basically told everybody, don't, don't do anything to him. And we also had some other people that was on our side. My little brother, he's pretty tough, and, uh, and Solomon's brother as well. But we did 200 shows. We started doing some different hip-hop shows in this area. But it was still difficult because I was homeless this whole time. 
and my relationship with my friend and musician, musical partner, Jessica, was evolving, and we became Clad Eternal kind of disbanded because they weren't really active. I'm still friends with all these guys, though. And we evolved into what was called uh, Adamant Redemptive Catalyst Clad Eternally, a group called ARC. And at that time, we did some of our first songs. Eventually, we evolved into a group called The Catalyst because we had to live all of the different... We had to see what it meant to be adamant, which was firm in your faith. We had to see live what it meant to be redemptive. We had to help each other get out of hell, um, at least. Not, not physical hell, but spiritual hell. So, Tyree, these folks, you had moved on and became a Baha'i, and I assume these other folks were Christian. How did you becoming a Baha'i affect your relationship as an artist with these other artists? You know, when we did the first song, That's the Business, I said I listened to that song for like a year, and we, I tried to get the guys to kind of get back into the groove, and we did a couple of shows, but really, it's almost like I was, I had asked them, I had told them, you know, here's what it is, but they never really connected with it, truly, because they had their own lives. I mean, they had their own lives, and it was a deep mission. When I met Jessica, this girl that joined the group, she was like, she actually saw that from my outside view, and she said that, you know, these guys are not really wanting to do this. And at that time, I wrote a missive. You know, we were, we were still cool. And I wrote a missive to each one of them saying that, hey, here's the opportunity that we have. Now, this is before Kanye did Jesus Walks, before DMX was praying, uh, before spirituality came a part of hip-hop for real. And we was ahead of our time. And we did a... And I, and I tried one last hoorah to get them into it. I, I scheduled a time to go into the studio. Uh, I started working with them on a couple of song concepts. I paid for it. And I wrote a missive saying, hey, this is what it is. You know, either accept it or just say no. And most of, all of them said no. But we, before they said no, we did a song. It was called Under My Wing. And it would go, it, it, it's a deep song. That song, when I wrote the song, I was not a Baha'i. When I finished the song, I was, and I changed one line. The one line that I changed in that song was the intro, and it says that, that the earth is for one country, and mankind is citizens. Run with me. Run with me. And it goes, under my wing, protected, respected, reflected. But, 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 stick out, but, but the wicked. Then get that note with stick it. You want to kick it and risk it, none of my business. But if you tell me, well, I got the scriptures that they spell that spell and make them dwell back in hell. Living with your actions and tactics through consequences when your will is your own. You've grown big girly ditches just in family for riches to dang these bitches. I set your wishes up pretentious. Shun evil intentions to do right. Be your light at night, all right? And then my wing, let the angels sing. And so that was, I mean, this is the level of spirituality and, and still it was hood. And so we still had, you know, connection to our base. But they chose to not do it. And so that's when we evolved from Clad Eternal to Ark to The Catalyst. And that was over the course of a couple of years. But that group of individuals, really me, my friend Solomon, and a few other people, we started a group called, called CORE, Collectively Organized to Reach Everyone. And this was a group of five people. We were doing a lot of things to really edify hip-hop in our locality. Uh, but... You know, everyone kind of was money-focused, and I really wasn't. And so, you know, I kind of let them do their thing with that as well. You know, we did a couple of projects, still have some proof to show from it. But 
during January of 2001 is when I started my outreach, and I did a, I created a talk show called Core Issues, collectively organized to reach everybody issues on a local radio station here in Columbia, Missouri, uh, January of 2001, at the very beginning of the year. And I've been doing that show for the past decade. And I also do a music show that's based on local hip-hop artists. It was called the Tame the Tongue Hour, which was the name of our very first song that me and Jessica did. So I've done those shows with her and with my mom for the past decade. Really? With your mom? Yeah, my mom. I invited my mom to come in because she didn't understand what this Baha'i stuff was about. And so she participated in the show for quite a while. When she actually moved back to Columbia, she came to help me from being homeless, by the way. Man, my mom is a trooper. She, she came back, she moved, sacrificed and moved back here once her, her dad passed, my granddad. She moved back and she got a house and she said, okay, we can stay together and, and we can pay half of the rent. And so we did this show together, so it was a big part of our life. I had lots of conversations with my mom as well. You know, I shared the, the Baha'i faith and what that meant, well, the, who Baha'u'llah was, which is the founder of, of the Baha'i faith, and Baha'is considered him to be the, the promised one of all ages and religions. And so I shared with her for about six years, and my mom declared and became a Baha'i in 2007. Is there a website you can send people to to find out more about core issues? Yes, yes, we have... Um, you know, we evolved from the catalyst, and now the, my friend Jessica, she's actually my wife, <laughs> and we have two beautiful kids. You know, we got married in 2003. We started having children in 2007. It was a kind of a tough thing for us because it took us like three years to get permission to marry. So tell folks about this idea of permission to, to marry. Well, one of the high laws is that in some cultures, your parents choose who you marry. In the Baha'i faith, the choice is up to the individual, but it is based on consent from all living parents. Because the marriage is not just the two individuals, but it's, it's you, you are becoming a part of that lineage, that legacy from those families back to the first family. In essence, uh, her mom gave me a list of things that I had to accomplish, and I was like, well, ma'am, this list is going to take me at least three years to accomplish. <laughs> so it took us a while to get consent from from all of the parents. It was a tough time for us. Normally, if you don't get consent, normally it's said that you should just choose someone else, but we were both kind of stubborn. <laughs> and we decided to still be, be friends and stay busy in our music and other stuff. And so eventually they, they gave consent, and we married in, uh, in 2003. In 2000, I, we created our record label, which was our central focus, and that is Copper to Gold Entertainment. And so that's our website. It's K-O-P-P-A, the number two, G-O-L-D, entertainment.com. And so that's our website where you can get information about core issues and all of the various things that we're doing. And we're working on a pretty special project right now. We've never believed in selling music. So for the past 10 years, everything that we've done, we've just given. We've given away. We've never really focused on selling it. I, I, 
of my belief that you can't really sell the spirit. You know, it's tough for me to do so. But what we've, we've found a formula that works for us. So we're in the process, I'm in the process of writing a book. The name of the book is Copper to Gold, The Recognition of the Soul of Hip-Hop. And I feel that hip-hop is only 40 years old, and a lot of people are treating this music form like it's mature, and it's not. It's not even an embryo when, it, when you look at different art forms. And so we have an album companion that's called Copper to Gold, 19 songs that's available uh, with the book. The album is all complete, and we've done that over the past three or four years while we're raising a family, and we feel that it's very good. We're actually in the process now of writing a play to, to this as well. So probably next year in the spring, we're going to start going on a tour uh, with our family, and we're going to do the play. While we're doing the play, we're going to perform the songs because it, it all progresses from beginning to end. And then we're going to also do a book signing and, and offer the book. So people can buy the book, the album is free, and uh, the play is a bonus. So that's the project that we have going right now. We have a Facebook page. On Facebook, it's www.facebook.com forward slash copper to gold. K-O-P-P-A, the number two, G-O-L-D. And we have like 15 or 16 songs available for free to download. And we have some that you can purchase as well. And then on our website, we also have updates on the project and everything. But there's one song called We Are One Soul. Basically says we represent the Show Me State, we represent the United States, we represent the planet Earth, we represent the universe. Copper to go. We are one soul. Say that we rep what we say we rep. Is it the people in the place say, yup. Yep. Just accept that we ain't a net. Kept crippled with my concept While my army stay in step Just show me got the worst critics So make it critical But if you love you Help us stand the most digital Gotta be a musical general Platinum symbol and minerals So bring a naked wrist And a minimum Seven beautiful visuals in your video Put that joint on BT And here we go Find the world trying to make a million One year later Same group ain't got a penny Totally different from me yo Cause I'm an ethical Spiritual and strictly legal individual The process is proven I'm magical or mystical Have a good vision Whatever we represent the show me state. We represent the USA. We represent the planet Earth. We represent the universe. Let's talk for a sec. Can you hear me way in the back? We don't get respect like we should, y'all. From the verbs overseas to the hood, y'all. Seven million walking the earth. Bloomed in a womb. Till it's time to give birth. And you know that it hurt, right? Ain't a man in the world gonna pay that price. Yeah, I'm white, but I know the culture. And there reverse racism. Time for that hurt is over. Yeah, I'm married a brother. The love was so real hard to go. From how to go, oh. We represent. Show me state We represent the USA We represent the planet Earth We represent the universe Where well, they deepest in the industry Cooking up a rim 
remedy. Everybody kin to me. We're lovers of humanity. I'm saying that we don't sin. Struck them as abounding. Pray and begin again. Results so astounding. Master the basics. Don't smoke, don't drink. Exit the matrix. Specialize what we think. To the advance. We'll bring them back from a brink. Give them a will. Heal, not kill. Distribute my wealth with justice. Stage the best of the guy can trust us. Court Mary Sex, the one you be lusting. <laughs> Gnashing the teeth, cause I've been in no cussing. Serve the great and good and be selfless. We're the last refuge, so Lord, please help. I'm a follower of a hollow lies. Cover your study, everything relevant. You know everything happens in. We represent the show me state. We represent the USA. We represent the planet Earth. We Can you tell me the significance of copper to gold? Yes. In one of our songs called Sokomi, I kind of have a spoken word piece where I explain that. I always choose things that are, that are epic. I don't know why or, or grand. I don't know why I do, but that's just, it's almost like it's not my choice, but it's just part of the reality of how I serve. Because I'm no longer the black paladin. I've matured as a warrior, so now I'm Paladon. And my wife's name is Nightingale. And so that's what comprises one soul. And so Copper to Gold is the process of the soul evolving from a mud or a base state to gold, to nobility. It's also the process of an artist. Because Copper to Gold is really about my wife. It's about an artist not knowing anything about hip-hop and rap other than listening to it, evolving into where she is one of the most proficient MCs that I know. I would say even my equal. And I've been doing it all my life. And so it's the process of of maturation. And so our focus is soul entertainment. And so you'll hear that theme a lot because, you know, the soul of hip-hop, you know, hip-hop went from just basic braggadocious, you know, just talking about this and that, really just focused on party, and it talked about the gangster rap came in, and then it evolved to more of a conscious rap, which I think was a, mainly in part to Islam, because Talib Kweli, Common, a lot of those rappers were, were Muslim. And then, you know, Christian rap, or holy rap, and soul hip-hop that I'm introducing, that we're introducing, is basically the, the essence of the lyrics really are more like parables, and they connect with you on the soul level, and they really they give that information about the covenant which is the, the covenant that God have, was, has with man, but also the covenant that Baha'u'llah has with humanity at this time. So, in essence, that's copper to gold. Yeah, so when you mean a cov- the covenant with God to man, what is that covenant that you're referring to? God has a covenant with a promise, with his species, with humanity, with man, that he will give us and offer us everything that we need in order to be successful, in order to be happy, in order to be united. Even though we look in the world and we see, we see other than that, we, we see different things, we see disunity, really we've been given the tools through revelation, through his prophets, through what Baha'is call manifestations, to offer guidance. You know, how can we be judged? How can we be judged if we don't have the guidance and the material in order to live a good life. You know, it's like the same thing with our kids. How can we tell our kids that that's right or wrong without giving them and teaching them the guidance in order to 
know what right is, know what morality is. And so that covenant is that we never will be without that guidance and without that love. And when we see the rainbow, we know that we the, the world will not be destroyed by water again, even though it's promised to be by fire in the future. So hopefully we can avoid that. Who are some of these manifestations that you refer to, Tyree? Great question. You know, some of the manifestations of God or the prophets of God, I have a saying, and I say nine, uh, nine chapters, one book. If you were to look at the major movements, the major religions, which is really just one, but it's, 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 it's progressive. Every thousand years, we have uh, new guidance. You know, most people, if you were to look in your home, you have a flat screen TV. Mm-hmm. So most people got rid of the old TV. They upgraded. <laughs> so in essence, you know, from Adam to Noah to Abraham, Zoroaster, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, the Bab, and Baha'u'llah. So it's a process that's progressively given us the guidance of a species, because none of these individuals come for one people. They come in one locality through the womb to educate all of us to experience the same thing, but they're not necessarily human, because one of the things that's different about them is they have innate knowledge. They don't learn from us. They teach us, and they wield the Holy Spirit, checking our pulse and giving us the guidance that we need to take the next step, and it's all based on our, our maturity as a species, not what they can offer us. They all have the same information. Well, Tyree, I want to thank you so much for telling your story and sharing your work with me. Man, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tyree Bindham, a spiritual rapper who has a recording label called Kappa de Gold, which you can find on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Kappa to Gold. That's K-O-P-P-A, the numeral 2, G-O-L-D. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Surveillance on my business All you do is pile of jets Allah is my witness Life is passing by But my soul is free So I treat this life Like a journey Bags are packed Virtues stacked And all is in order My real legacy and future For my sons and my daughters From conception to death It's all about the test Life is passing by faster So we prepare for the next I don't have a soul Within my body, I'm a soul trying to break free. When he made me, he broke the mold. Unique at my peak, not facetious. I'm convinced your argument is weak. There are many worlds and God exists. Many lamps, one light, but some confused fire is a light. Some live in the darkness, spark even though it's really bright. Have a smile on your face, but inside you're terrorized. 
mad at the world, but it's really yourself that you decide. Space of lies, the only way to cleanse is forgiveness. The martyrs are the witness, so please come to your senses. From the ghetto to the burbs, we all need to merge. Male and female, two wings of a bird, we're on the verge of universal peace. Tame with the beast, you don't agree? Got your nerve, justice to serve, and wars will cease. Time is running out. I got so many critics, yeah. Trying to build my clout, but not focus on the digits. All you do is route steady surveillance on my business. All you do is pile legit. Allah is my witness. Life is passing by, but my soul is free. So I treat this life like a journey. Bags are packed, virtue stacked. And all is in order, my will, legacy, and future for my sons and my daughters. No, we got so many cats out there, man, that's focused on the bling bling. So many cats, man, got so many businesses that don't know how to create. They ain't even trying to build. And beauty, instead of trying to just capitalize on the situation, straight up Western civilization. You know, life is passing by, man. Fleeting, time is running out. It's gone. We gotta get it right. And when you look up, this is all we got. I'm high as a kite, addicted to my God. You can do what you like. He's patient and won't cry. He lets you learn from your lessons and choose your own battles. You know it's danger when you hear a lion's roar, or a snake's rattle. Move, get out the way. It's like filling up your car with fuel. You got to pray. When you run out of gas, you get harassed by Shaitan. Can catch me in the first war straight talking with Cray time. Stop hate time. Start creating the things you want to see change. I can't even hate back because I know you're deranged. And like in sight, simple act of giving up your will in the straight plight. The wise don't speak unless the time is right. The foolish will run the scene unless we put up a fight. But not with weapons of mass destruction. But falling in love with your true functions. Whether you know that purpose and not the end of the circus. Well, heaven is on earth, and a nobility will surface. Time is running out. I got so many critics trying to build my clout, but not focus on the digits. All you do is route steady surveillance on my business. All you do is pout. Legit, Allah is my witness. Life is passing by, but my soul is free. So I treat this life like a journey. Bags are packed, virtues stacked. And all is in order, my will, legacy, and future for my sons and my daughters. Check it. Get it ready, man. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station. Streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.